Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, brighten our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my man? Doing good about yourself. Doing pretty good. We're, uh, we're recording this at a different time than we usually do. Yeah, it's like the middle of the day. Yeah, usually we record at the end of the day, and I'm all, I'm all ran down and angry, but I'm feeling pretty chipper. That's weird, right yeah. yeah. I had this bit planned, though, because we don't normally do it at night, mm-hmm. and I had a bit planned where I was going to crack open a beer right before we start talking about this movie, because oh. I have a feeling it's going to be <laughs> a little divisive. Huh, perhaps. We'll get into that. Today we are talking about End of the Line from 2007, directed by Maurice Devereaux. This was your pick, Jason. It was indeed. A uh, bit of an obscure horror film you wanted to shine a little light on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And before we dig into all of that, we're going to do all our usual stuff, talk about what we've been watching. I've got more of my uh, flu season watch list i got to run through. But first, as everyone knows, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. And there's all kinds of other cool shows that you could be listening to and filling your ear holes with. Mm Mm-hmm. So go swing by the sort of podcast grouping page. You can check out all the other cool shows that are on there, including our flagship show, Attack of the Killer Podcast. Mm, you would say it's the enterprise to our <laughs> hood or something like that, right? Perhaps, yes. Okay. Excellent. Oh, wow. What have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've watched a couple of things, but let's see if I want to save some of these for later. Okay. I guess I can run down real quick, boom, 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 some of the stuff I watched. Cool. Let's hear it. All right. So, okay. I'm like a battered spouse, man. <laughs> I keep coming back to this franchise. Uh-oh. Because I really love the first one, but the, the Hell House movies. Mm. Yeah, there's that LLC. new one, isn't there? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I love the first one. I'm a big defender of the first one. I think it's really good. Yep. You convinced me to watch the first one, and I loved it. Yeah. And yeah. I've been afraid to go forward ever since. Right. Uh, two and three, I did not like. Mm. I do not like them. Um, they got really cheesy and just, <sighs> what's the one like Lake of Fire or something crazy? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of a, uh, it's almost like in the Hell House universe. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Okay. But it's called Hell House LCC origins, the Carmichael Manor. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a mouthful of a title. Okay. Wow. But same, you know, director, producer, writer, all that. Um, and I, I'm happy to report that it is better. Ooh. It's, okay. not as, it's not as good as the first one, but they've okay. abandoned that whole Abaddon Hotel storyline. Cool. Probably kinda, for the best. Yeah. I think that was played out. Uh, so they're doing something kind of that was happening uh, kind of right before and just after the whole Abaddon thing. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, spoiler if you haven't seen it, there's like the satanic cult involved right. with it. So some of their members were part members of this Carmichael family where this horrible murder oh, happened. So they're kind of expanding the world. Right. Exactly. This is like a uh, spiral to their saw. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Spiral, but I'll say yes. Cool. <laughs> it's about a copycat killer. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Spoiler! <laughs> um, so it's about these ghost hunters that go into the Carmichael Manor that's supposed to be haunted. Mm. And they've got some of the, um, for lack of a better word, relics that were at the Abaddon Hotel. Ooh. So like the big spooky clowns and shit like that. He's, he's pretty much become the poster boy of the right. 90s. You know, but cool. they kind of explain what he is, mm. and it's 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 cool. It's not bad. You know, it works. There are some genuinely spooky moments. Uh, if you, if you dig the whole found footage ghosty thing, 
I do. Yeah, you, you, you could do worse than this. <laughs> not as good as the first one, but okay. much better than the sequels. Um, and it's, it's, it's streaming on Shutter. Hmm. At the end, I recommend it. Um, I also watched. Um, I'll do the middling movie. I watched Suitable Flesh. Oh, cool! That one based on H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. thing on the doorstep. Been wanting to see that. Yeah, it's okay. Hmm. That's that's <laughs> it's okay. It's uh, I mean Barbara Crampton in it. She's mm-hmm. great. Um, uh, what's the lead's name? I already forget her name for some reason. Oh my god! I'm not your guy for this one. You know, it's that one chick, Heather Graham. Jesus Christ! Oh. Huh. <laughs> uh, she's fun in it. She's good. She gives it her all. But it just and there's because it's some of the um, like Dennis Paoli wrote the script. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of love for the old '80s. I heard it was basically like a Stuart Gordon film if he could have made another film type deal. That's what it's, they it's were, in that vein. That's what they were going. That's for. what they're shooting for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no one can do Stuart Gordon. No, but Stuart Gordon. So, but they even use that same establishing establishing shot of Miss Katonic University oh, that they cool. used in um, Reanimator. Nice. So that's fun. Um, but it's just kind of slight. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. really have any weight to it. It's not particularly scary. It's not. It's just a kind of. It's sort of like a huh. <laughs> okay. And there's not really a lot of surprises. So I don't think I can recommend it at the wow, end of the day. Okay. I may still watch it. Yeah, I mean if you if you are curious about any Lovecraft adaptation, check it out. It did make me want to go back and reread the thing on the doorstep, which I did That's last a good one. night. And I hadn't read that in like thirty years, so <laughs> Okay, and the much better one that I will talk about is Influencer. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh that is from twenty twenty two. Also wanted to see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's all about this um, woman who befriends this influencer, and but she might have, uh, you know, nefarious motives. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take too. I much know. I know. There's work. a big twist with this one. They say so. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a movie where you're not really sure where it's going, which I always love. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. Hell yeah! And especially the the lead in it, she's really good and. Uh, yeah, I recommend this one highly. It's uh, got a little bit of violence, nothing like extreme. Would you say it's more maybe like thrillerish? Yeah, it's more yeah. of a psychological thriller. Cool, I'm into that. Yeah, um, but it's definitely um, yeah, you don't know where it's going. It's more interesting than a lot of current movies, and it's got some things to say about social media that I kind of agree with. <laughs> so I recommend Influencer. Check that out. It's also on Shutter. Cool. Shutter man, just getting it all. Yeah, these were all Shutter movies, actually. <laughs> How about you, man? What have you been so, watching? So, yeah, like I said, I've got, I've got more of my flu journal to, okay. to, to work through. So, excellent. Um, the goal of this was to basically just get through some stuff of recent years that um, I meant to see and then never saw. So, right. Continuing that trend. Um, first, I'm going to talk about the Black Phone. Scott Derrickson, 2021 um, mm-hmm. adaptation of a Joe Hill story. Uh, son of Stephen King, if mm-hmm. for some reason you don't know that. Um, Joe, son of Stephen. <laughs> Joe, son of Stephen, yes. Um, and it feels very much like a very classical Stephen King. It felt like his attempt to write that kind of story. Yeah, one of his early novellas, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just about this you know, uh, 13-year-old boy uh, living his life. He's kind of bullied a little bit. He's got, some, he's got a good friend that sticks by him, and 
all that nice little vibe of like a Stand By Me kind of setup or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but amid all of this, there is a masked, crazed person that's abducting kids and killing them. <laughs> Rather obviously in a big black foreboding van. <laughs> yeah. Um, played amazingly by Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's great. He just fucking kills it in this role. Yeah. He's really embracing horror lately. It's great. Yep. And um, what is he called? The Grabber, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And so as this is kind of looming in the background of his life, it gets to a point to where they finally, the lead crosses paths with him and gets abducted. And it's his story of trying to like survive and escape. But the, but the hook of the title, the black phone is that he's kept in this like basement cellar area and there's a black phone on the wall. that's not hooked up. Yeah. It's been like unplugged from forever ago, but he starts to receive calls from the dead victims of the grabber. Right. And it's all the prior kids he has killed. And one by one, each one's trying to impart like their story and in some way, like, help the lead mm-hmm. overcome the grabber and escape. Right. Um, it's, it's very, like, it's a very sad film, especially when you get into, like, the lead's home life and, like, their, their mother, you know, something happened to her. And then the dad's, like, alcoholic and abusive. And mm-hmm. um, he's got a sister. She was very great in this film, too. <laughs> she stills the fucking movie um, for me, man. name's Gwen, played by... Was it Madeline McGraw? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Um, she's amazing. And, you know, she's got a bit of a shine to her because mm-hmm. she's having some visions. And it's implied that her mom used to have those visions, too. And the dad's kind of afraid of it. And yeah. so there's like a separate storyline where she, through those visions, is trying to help the police track down the killer mm-hmm. in hopes that they can save her brother in time. Right. And it's really fun. It just, like, ties up everything very nicely. Um, yeah, it was very compelling. Very fun. Nice. Yeah, it handles adolescence really well, I thought. It captures the yeah. horrible, those teenage years and everything. and. Yeah, the sister kicks ass. She <laughs> yeah, gets she's some fights and and that scene where he's like the father's like whipping her. Yeah. And she's crying. Oh my god. Brutal. I mean, she really goes for it. It's amazing. Um, but there's a great arc to that too, because like once the day is saved at the end, you can see that there's like remorse now in the father too. Maybe. But I got the feeling he's gonna no. he'll stay clean for a week and then he'll get drunk again. <laughs> you know? That's kind of the way that stuff goes, I guess. But um, yeah, man. Love Scott Derrickson. Yeah. He knocked it out of the park again. It's a great flick. Um, they've got a sequel slated. I don't know anything about it, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm a little um, apprehensive about that, but you never know. I'm sure like a prequel may be more getting to the background of see, I hope not. how he went crazy. Or... I hope not. Hmm. I, hope, I hope it's not a prequel. I don't need to see that. Okay. I'd rather see The Adventures of a Little Sister or something like that, <laughs> you know, because she's got the shine or whatever. Right. You know? link, link it up with the, the wider Stephen King universe. Yeah. Uh, next, I want to talk about, directed by Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho from 2021. Yeah, I still haven't watched that. Um, obviously, it's got our girl, Anya Taylor-Joy, mm. leading, one of the leading roles along with Thomason McKenzie. They play kind of a dual-connected role. Okay. Um, Thomason plays this character named Eloise, and she's kind of this meek girl who's aspiring to be like a fashion designer. And she moves to Soho in, Lon- in London to attend this, like, art school for fashion design and modeling and stuff like that. Um, and it's sort of like a fish-out-of-water type story where she has trouble acclimating, she's bullied, all that good stuff. Uh, she has a lot of trouble getting over her, like, anxiety and ability to, like, get out there and, like, embrace the world and get involved in things. Yeah, I can't relate to that. Um, and so as consequences would have it, she ends up, like, renting this little, like, apartment above a building all to herself so she doesn't have to fool with roommates or anything else like that. And when she's there, she starts to have these like dreams and visions of like a time back in the 60s in Soho. And this other woman 
named Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And she is just like this vivacious, like very attractive, very strong, very forward-thinking woman who's trying to make it as a singer in the city. And she falls under the sway of this guy named Jack, who on one part seems to be kind of like, you know, in on all the clubs and like a, a guy that gets everything like linked up. But he also is secretly kind of getting women into like a prostitution ring kind of thing. Mm. Um, played very well by Matt Smith. It's a nice turn for him. Mm-hmm. Of course, you might know him as like a Doctor Who. Right. Of course. So right. Uh, I like that all the Doctor Whos for a while were jumping out into weird stuff like uh, David Tennant did Purple Man and Jessica Jones. Oh, okay. So love, cool dark turns for some of those people. But yeah, so it kind of switches back and forth between this story as she's like uncovering more of Sandy's life and what she went through and her struggles. And she starts being kind of haunted by the men that like oppressed her in like the modern time still. And it's really just about her kind of like running down that story and figuring out what happened. And she thinks that if she can maybe like bring justice to this Jack person, because it seems like he ultimately murdered her and got away with it. And if she can kind of like bring him to justice, that will somehow like put Sadie to rest and like give her peace. Okay. Um, and there's an incredible late film twist that sort of turns all of that and nothing's quite as straightforward as it seems like it is. Mm. Um, really appreciate that. I thought it was super clever. Uh, it has some like Gialli vibes to it. I know some people were calling it a Giallo. I don't know that I'd go that far, but right. um, it's got some of that flair, some interesting visuals and color use. And you know, you got the central thing of like some sexual themes and murders going on. Uh, very, very fun, I thought. Cool. Yeah. Is it, because I've heard mixed things. A lot of people were disappointed with it, but you, you recommend it? I quite liked it. I went in with like no real expectations because I remember people kind of dogging on it some. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, again, I can't move. I can't go anywhere. So I'm just going to throw this on and <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. It takes a grain of salt because you were in the middle of your fever dream. It, it will so. keep me alive for another hour and a half. So, <laughs> you know, let's go. And then I was surprised at how much I liked it. So, okay. And then last but not least, uh, let's keep looped into our Stephen King theme mm. and echo something that you inspired from me to me a few episodes ago. I finally watched Dr. Sleep. Okay. What was your impression? 2019, Mike Flanagan. I watched the director's cut just to get it all mm-hmm. in and one shot. Um, And I want to say I fucking loved this movie. I thought it was incredible. Uh, just so very good. Easily probably the best thing that he's done. Maybe one of the best Stephen King films of all time. Wow, okay, that's high um, praise. No, I, I was impressed with it too. Mm-hmm. And I kicked myself for waiting for so long to watch it. Yeah. Um, I just, I never could believe that it could ever reach the same height as The Shining, but it, it does it, and it does it in like a different way still. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it on par with The Shining, personally. I almost would. I don't think, yeah, but The Shining, I mean, you have to think how much that kind of defined horror for a mm-hmm. long time and is still being copied and parodied and stuff <laughs> like that. I don't think Dr. Sleep's going to have that same impact, but that's not to say that it's not also an excellent, excellent film. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uma McGregor as Danny grown up is just like phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I loved all of the extra shots they did of like flashbacks where they kind of like, wasn't that clever? Near casted the characters. I-, I love how they didn't go for like just an imitation yeah. or it's like some sort of deep fake bullshit. Mm-hmm. But they cast actors who really did a good job at inhabiting yeah. the personality of those characters, especially the guy who they got to do, uh, Jack Torrance. Oh yeah, that God. scene—that's one of the it's best scenes—is him at that bar talking to his dad. And that actor does a great job of, of getting the essence yeah. of Jack without parodying uh, Jack Nicholson's performance. Because it would have been easy to have someone just like yuck it up uh-huh. and do like exaggerated Jack Nicholson. Yep. 
Um, and Rebecca Ferguson is fucking amazing in this. Isn't she great? Yes. So creepy, so scary. And it's one of those things, like, they spend so much time with the villains that, like, they're very humanized. And it's like, you obviously don't want them to succeed. But at the same time, it's like, you kind of understand. Yeah. Like, what's going on? It's like, it's like the same thing as, like, a vampirism sort of thing almost. Right. Like, you know, they chose this thing. They're cursed now. They have to keep going for their and, own survival. And that scene with the the kid who was playing baseball. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I can't, that, that was pretty, and it didn't even show anything. It's just mm-hmm. all kind of implied, but that was pretty ballsy for a mainstream movie. Yes. I, mean, I love Mike Flanagan. He, he is easily one of the best, one of the best horror directors working right now. One of the best directors working now and probably one of the best horror directors period ever. Um, I liked a lot of the themes and the storytelling that it gets like cyclical with like, Danny kind of falls into the same vices that mm-hmm. Jack had and the reflection of that and how he's able to like come through it and find like a positive focus for like his abilities and stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. It was just, it was so, it's so nicely like circular and bookended. And then especially the climax that like when they have nothing else to do, he decides to drag her out mm-hmm. to the overlook Yeah. to use like the spiritual presences there to like overcome her and defeat her. Right. Um. Just, ah, oh, it's so good. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, Flanagan knocks it out of the park every time. I, I could talk for forever about it. But yeah, this, this, we, is, we this could... is in our movie, so I, I'll leave it there for now. And <laughs> all right, maybe one day. Yeah, we could do a special visit to it sometime. Ooh, maybe a Shining Doctor Sleep double feature. Ooh, okay. Don't get my hopes up. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we're ready for the movie. Are you done stalling? <laughs> <laughs> So today we have our first horror film of the year. Thanks to Jason. Woot. Maurice Devereaux's End of the Line from 2007. What do we want to start with this? Um, well, I guess we should start with the, the, the description. Sure, yeah. You got the synopsis. Hit us with it. Sure. Well, according to IMDb, <clears throat> Karen boards a late night train and fights with several other passengers to survive a murderous night after becoming trapped in a tunnel. Bare bones. But I mean, it gets the point across. Um, I mean, I like Mimic. That's kind of the same plot. <laughs> you know, I never saw Mimic. You, you think I would hate it because of the bugs, but it's like... I mean, that's scary, but it's good. <laughs> um, I guess we should talk about genre. Yeah, we, we tend to start there, yes. Obviously, it's a straightforward horror film. Mm-hmm. But I would also throw in cult horror. Okay. Um, apocalyptic horror. Sure. And at least according to the director, maybe a psychological horror. Um, yeah, IMDb puts in the thriller tag, so... Yeah. We'll maybe. talk about that. We'll talk about we'll that. We'll talk about that. Um, there's a twist to this film, and I'm not so sure it's a twist, but we'll get into that's, that. that. That's probably the weakest aspect, <laughs> aspect of the movie. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yep. Okay, so um, you had never seen this before. I had not. I wasn't really familiar with Maurice Devereaux either. Yeah, and this came out in 2007, which... For me, was there was kind of a dearth of good horror there because we had the J horror boom and that was fun, mm-hmm. but then it was sort of like Should a little bit of ended. a dry spell. Yeah, there was a bit of a dry spell. Yeah. around this era, and this is a movie. A little background for me. Uh, this is back when the store Hastings 
Ooh. was still in our town. Okay, yeah. So, you know... God bless. Yeah, RIP. <laughs> um, you know, both of us would go just go there and yeah. we would just hang out, basically. I didn't need to buy anything just to be there. Yeah. But there was always like one or two uh, weird little horror movies that was maybe 10 or 12 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I would pick them up blindly just because, hey, that's oh, yeah. almost a rental. You know, I may as well just buy this thing. <laughs> so I saw this cover for the end of the line. And there's a couple of different covers for this. Because mm-hmm. the blue you have has a completely different cover, which is probably better. Yeah. Because the one that I bought is the one with the demonic looking figures on it, which might be a little spoilery. Yeah. Possibly. Misleading. Yeah. Um, but I was intrigued. I was like, oh, this you know, looks fun. So I picked it up and I was pleasantly surprised with it. I, it it um, entertained me, which at the time was all I was asking for. But I, over what the years, could you want? <laughs> over the years, I just really haven't seen a lot of people talk about this movie. So mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it to you, to genre exposure and to our listeners and uh, you know, give it a little bit of love okay. and revisit it. Because I really haven't seen it since around that time. So it's been a while. Okay, so I know we usually save the majority of our our big level thoughts till the end, but I feel like I need to say this one up front. Okay. This movie falls somewhere in the world between being a full moon film <laughs> and a sci-fi pictures original. Yeah, you, you had texted me saying, uh, is this a full moon movie, like when you started watching it? <laughs> I actually, right after that, then Googled if it was ever a sci-fi original or yeah. not. Um, but that said, I was surprised at how much I was compelled by it as I watched okay. it. That's good. That's good. I think it has that feel because it, it was micro budget. I oh, mean, yeah. the director paid for it himself. Um, he said that he, he, he was living with his parents. He was saving all of his money and working and he, I mean, he financed it. So, you know, kudos to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's awesome. commendable. It is. And this is his fourth feature. And I will say it to be like self-financed. It does feel bigger mm-hmm. than that type of movie. I think the guy's got some talent. And the, the sad thing is, this was his last movie. Yeah, he's never done anything since. And I don't know why. I've been trying to find some stuff on him, but I really haven't been able to find that much. Uh, and I think that's sad. Yeah. Because I think he's got some talent. I really do. Um, yeah, I'd watch this again before I watch the fucking Dial of Destiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A- amen to that. And his previous movies are kind of obscure, too. They're kind of hard to find. Yeah, he's got one, uh, Lady of the Lake, Slashers. Those got put out by the Fangoria Presents label right. on DVD. And something called Blood Symbol. Yeah, that was his first feature, I think. Mm-hmm. And he self-financed that one as well. And I haven't seen any of those yet. They may be a little bit easier to find these days. I was I, I looked for them back in the day and couldn't find them. I need to do another, another check. He also did a short film that apparently kind of had some hits called PMS Survival Tips from 2003. Uh, it got an award at the Spasm Film Festival, and when it hit YouTube, it immediately got 2 million views just within like a month. So Interesting. I'll put that in the show notes so people can, if it's still up. Cool. All right. Yeah, with that out of the way, I guess we should just get into the movie. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go on a ride. <laughs> to the end of the to line. To the end of the line. Uh, Which, hey, if you want a drinking game on this film... Take a shot every time they say the title of the movie. Cause they don't say it that many times. It's at least three times. It's at least three. Yeah. They get you buzzed. <laughs> uh, well, the movie opens with a woman on the subway. Mm-hmm. After we get a nice little title sequence. Mm-hmm. And I will say the music is kind of... Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing special. It's very Richard Band. It's very if, Richard if Band. If you're a full moon aficionado. It is. But you know what? I kind of dig it. It's simple, and it gets the point across. Mm-hmm. It lets you know that you're in for a B-movie horror. Yeah. 
I actually quite like the title theme. Yeah. Um, and incidentally, the guy who wrote the music also did uh, some of the visual effects. Yeah, it's uh, Martin Gauthier. That's it. So, movie opens with a woman on the subway. We find out soon her name is Karen. Um, she's sitting there in this car. There's like a person sitting behind her facing the other direction. Mm-hmm. And in front of her are like four people facing away from her. And uh, there's this big envelope addressed to her. At least to a Karen. We assume it's her. She's She owns it. And on the front, it says... I'll probably butcher this. But it says, To Karen, and then Calvisep Pure Ergot. And it's signed by Vivian. Yeah. Now, did you look up what that means? I already knew what it was. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> Check out the big brain on Dustin. <laughs> well, why don't you enlighten oh, yeah, my I got a, I got a master's degree. <laughs> um... No, it's a uh, it's a type of fungus that grows in rye, and it's been known to cause hallucinations. And and incidentally, if you know that, then it completely kneecaps the twist they try to have in this film. It does, <laughs> but again, and we'll get to this. Mm-hmm. But the twist is almost not even really a twist. I... I'm gonna be honest. Uh... When I looked up this film online, everywhere talked about like, oh, but maybe it's not what it seems. <laughs> Right, and I will go ahead and say I think I think that's the weakest element of the movie. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. No, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so this turns out to be a dream sequence. It is a dream sequence. Yeah, she's she's going through the pictures that are in this envelope, and they're really kind of cool, you know, hand drawn images of like people in the hospital, people on the subway, and you kind of see like in the background there's these demonic. It's like demonic wallpaper. Yeah. or something. And then she looks at it again, and there's these demons coming out. And they look, I'm just going to say, really fucking cool. The, uh, yeah. yeah. I do really love the <laughs> demon design. And it's almost underutilized. Yeah, and it's not CG or anything, too, which is awesome, because mm-hmm. 2007. It's people yeah. in makeup and suits and shit, and it, it works. Mm-hmm. It's, I almost wish they were in the movie more. Mm-hmm. But I also really appreciate the restraint. Uh, like a good example of this is they look really good, but the demons in the movie Demon Knight, mm-hmm. they're on camera way too long. Yeah. You know, you could tell it's, it's just people, you know, in the, in the suits and it's just, the camera lingers on them too long. So he doesn't make that mistake in this movie. Yeah. They've got this like purpley hue to them, but they're also, they're like, they're slick, like they're slimy. Yeah. Like an oil slick. Yeah. And, and their, eyes shine, their eyes shine really bright. It's a very striking visual. Yeah. They look cool. Um, da, 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 da. All right. so she's looking at these pictures and she realizes that one of the pictures looks like the scene in front of her mm-hmm. and it really jump scare here because she pulls the paper down and then the people who are in front of her come yelling at her and they've got like the whole thing where their mouths are kind of fused together yep. and shit it's, it's, it's a pretty good jump scare it's very uh, direct-to-video Hellraiser look yeah, yeah. but I mean I, it's a, <laughs> I think it's an effective opening yeah it's cool I was um, compelled alright excellent so then we get her crying in the shower. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things here that stick out immediately. Because you see this big scar on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're noting that. Um, and then like a shadow passes behind her, like the frosted glass of the shower door. And she mm-hmm. kind of jumps at it. But then she just kind of goes back to crying and shit. <laughs> and yeah. kind, of, kind of collects herself. Um, so the next scene, she's coming out. Uh, like drying off and stuff. She's in a rope. She's looking at some radio broadcast. Yeah. And it's something about some attacks that's been going on or something, right? Riots or something. Yeah. 
And she has her little dog there with her, but we don't see anybody else in the house. So, you know, what, what made the shadow is something that you might be thinking about right now. Perhaps. Because she thought maybe it was just her husband or, or whatever walking in front of the shower Husband, door. roommate, sure. something. Yeah. But we don't see anybody. Eh, not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get a little J-horror. Oh, yeah. With this uh, cute Asian chick. <laughs> is that sexist? Am I being sexist if I say cute Asian chick? I don't mean to be. <laughs> um, all three of those words are true, so. <laughs> cute Asian woman. Okay. Um, Look at you. Personal growth. All right. <laughs> but she's like alone on this subway platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's obviously scared. Yeah, she's very nervous and constantly like looking over her shoulders. Yeah. And, but yeah. it seems like no one's there. Yeah, but then she looks over and there's this one dude with her his back to her. And he's getting closer and closer as she looks away and looks back. Yeah. This is another pretty J-horror moment. Mm-hmm. And he turns around. He's got that same kind of fused mouth mm-hmm. thing. He's got maggots crawling all over him. Yeah. Fairly effective. And she's freaking out, and she just suicide clubs it and, yeah. and jumps out right in front of the train. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. This, my man's got a little uh, little J-horror bug in him there. Yeah, and then the commentary, he actually said, this is my nod to J-horror. <laughs> uh, so we get back to Karen. And we, now we finally learn a little bit about who she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, she's a nurse. She's working at this psycho- psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. Um. She's trying to get this old guy to take his pills, and he's ranting and raving about how he's seen them everywhere and that they're coming. Yep. Uh, he In says, the days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's this Italian dude, and apparently his name is uh, Mr. Simonetti, <laughs> and he was named after Claudio Simonetti. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's got his rosary, and he's kissing it, and he swallows it. And then they have to call for an orderly to come to yeah, help yeah. restrain him. And there's a little bit of dialogue about how it's a full moon, so everything's more chaotic, and it's also supposed to be an eclipse tonight. Which, uh, per Tiffany, that tracks. <laughs> See, I always read that was just, that's not true. Full moon has no correlation to spikes in anything. But, I mean, <laughs> she's got more experience than me. I'll, I'll defer to her. As someone that was on the front lines, I, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll trust what she says. Right. Um... So Karen's told that Vivian Lee committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Implied to be one of their patients. Yep. And she jumped in front of the train, so that's the girl we just saw. And that was also the girl's name was on the envelope addressed to Karen. Yep. And uh, so Karen's kind of shook by this, and we see her go by this big religious poster. Yeah, it's like one of those, like, they've clearly made, like, some donations to the hospital or something, and they've set up, like, a little uh, yeah. little standee with, like, free handouts and stuff. Right, there's, like, these muffins yeah. that she gets, and she makes a donation and gets the muffins. And later we see her eating the muffins in an office, and, uh... One of her co-workers, right, pops in, talks to her for a little bit. Well, she's looking at another Manila, a Manila envelope mm, that, yeah. that mirrors the one from her dream. Although it says, uh, it's addressed from Vivian to Karen and says, soon they will reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we get more drawings, like the ones we saw from the dream. And there's like really obvious demonic creatures in them at one point. And she looks again, they're not there. And then, yeah, that's when a coworker comes in. Another jump scare. <laughs> um, it's got the big musical sting. She yep. gets up. Oh! Um, and noticeably, the cross on the wall falls. Yeah. 
coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we jump to Karen. She's on the subway, except for this one guy who's reading a book. And they get a little flirty. Which, I'm going to say, once once she changed and left, I was like, ooh. Oh, no, she's a cutie. cutie. Yeah. She's a cutie. I guess maybe now we should say, so what is her it's name? It's Lona Elkin. Yeah, I think she's pretty good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, she hasn't gone on to do a lot of uh, other things either. Yeah, a lot no. of the cast in here really hasn't done more stuff, unfortunately. Because I think, there, I think a lot of the cast... one in particular that has, but yes. we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. Kind of, kind of the show stealer of this movie. Yeah, I think we're about to get to him right now, aren't we? Uh, not quite yet, but we're not. No, because first we have this. Um, they're they're at the train platform, right? Sure. Yeah, and there's this other guy, and he's they're kind of like smiling at each other. He's reading a book. Uh, he kind of has I'm gonna say like a, a great value Trent Reznor vibe to him, like a <laughs> '90s you know Trent Reznor, where he's like real thin and yeah, kind of um, heroin chic. Yeah, I think I think the term <laughs> is. Oh, uh, yeah, and it seems like maybe it's one of those things they bump into each other a lot there, maybe, but they never say anything. Yeah, they're and, smiling at each yeah. other, yeah. Um, then this creeper kind of wanders in. See, this is the guy I'm talking about oh, who kind of steals the movie. No, I'm thinking of someone else. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, this guy comes up out of the background, and he's noticeably wearing this brown shirt that's kind of open, and he's wearing, like, a black T-shirt underneath yeah. it and stuff. But, I mean, you can immediately... This guy's cast really well because mm-hmm. he has that, that creeper face. Um, he could be a red herring in a giallo where you think he's obviously the killer because he's like a sex pest, but <laughs> right. really he's not. Well, it turns out this guy's name's Patrick. Yeah, played by Robin Woolcock. And I think he does a great job here. And he's he's been in a lot of minor movies, a lot of minor roles in other movies and stuff because he's, he's gone on to do some things. But uh, I really okay. like him in yeah. this. Yes, yeah, so he has uh, some bit parts in what, like 300? Yeah. Incredible Hulk, okay. He's having a lot of fun in this role. He's really going for it. And uh, I, I like him a lot. I like him as an actor. But yeah, he immediately starts creeping on Karen. Yep. Asking her for a cigarette. You know, kind of skeezing, harassing her. Yeah, she's giving him every shutdown, too. She's like, I don't smoke. Yeah, and then he's like <laughs> super rude. Calls her like, I don't, I'm not going to say the name he calls her. And so she walks away giving him the finger and everything. But And she's walking away from the guy, and he's kind of chasing after her. But then this dude she's been flirting with, turns out his name's Mike. Yeah, played by Nicholas Wright. Yeah, he pretends to know her. Yeah, he acts they, like they're friends. Oh, here you are. Yeah. You know, and they start having a conversation. So that kind of scares off Patrick, the creeper. But don't worry, he'll be back. <laughs> he'll be back. So it's weird, their first little conversation here, because like, Mike's like just sort of like, blah, 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 like really excited to talk to her. And then she's like, I'm sorry, I've had a long night. I don't want to talk. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I get it. I get it. Yeah, she's putting a stop to this meat cute right now. Yeah. She's not having it. <laughs> but then it's funny because she notices that Patrick's still lingering down the subway. Yeah. So then she does start to talk mm-hmm. to him more. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she also has that quick vision of Vivian. Yeah. Which is pretty gory. She leans over the where the tracks are and she thinks she sees her down there. Yeah, yeah. like these EMTs like assisting her and she's like, Ooh, I mean, there's guts everywhere and shit. Yeah, that was pretty effective. Yeah. Uh, the gore is used sparingly in this movie, but I think it's pretty good, mm-hmm. especially for a low-budget film. I would agree. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so this guy's name's Mike and they get on the train together and they pretty much got a car to themselves. Yeah. But they kind of sit apart still at first. Mm-hmm. Um... But then the train stops. Yeah, this is where they do some weird, like, they jump around in time <laughs> for no apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I get why they do it. Um, 
I don't think it's confusing. I think it's done relatively well. Yeah. The, so the train stops, and the conductor comes on over the speakers. It's hard to hear. Hard to hear. It's got the staticky thing. Yeah, all garbled. Um, but it's something about emergency stop got pressed. They have to check the train. Give them a few minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything will be fine. Karen has another vision of Vivian outside, all bloody and shit, like by the window. Um, and that's when Mike comes in. That's right. Yeah. They're both like, what's going on? Karen thinks she hears something. Sounds like a guy. Mike hears it too. And that's when the older woman comes into the car looking yep. for somebody. She's like, you know, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, oh, and I like this part because Karen's like, oh, come join us. You know, it's okay. Yeah. And you can see Mike like frowning in disappointment. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> And uh, the older woman comes in. Turns out her name's Betty. Mm-hmm. Played she, by Joan McBride. Yeah, she does a good job. Uh, I think everyone, she's like your typical kind of librarian. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a nice older lady, right? Um, but she says something else. It's like she saw a strange man on the tracks and also a young girl. Karen gets concerned. Yeah, she thinks they're seeing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but then the woman gets a message on her pager. Yeah, which dates the movie a little bit. Dates the movie. Yeah. So what were pagers, Jason? <laughs> okay. No, you don't have to explain it. Pagers were used by <laughs> drug dealers to... <laughs> Yeah, she gets a message on her pager, looks at it, and she's like, kind of starts praying or whatever, and she brings this big old crucifix out of her purse, this big gaudy kind of like mm-hmm. blocky silver crucifix, and uh, pulls part of it away to reveal a dagger. Yeah, stabs Mike. Stabs Mike in the back. Um, and this this prop is like, oh, it's so cheap, but it's cheap. <laughs> but you know what? It looks like something that would have been handmade. You I know, g- I guess. Handmade on mass because it turns out there's more of her and they all have this same dagger. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've seen pieces of shit that look like that at you know flea markets. <laughs> I buy it. I buy it. I think if it looks too nice, you'd be thinking, "Hey, that looks too nice." I don't know. I'm just saying. Who's making these daggers? <laughs> uh, with how much uh, offering they get, you think they could spring for better than like Timu quality? <laughs> They're spending that on other things. <laughs> All right, yeah, so she stabs Mike. He kind of knocks to the ground. And Karen's like, oh, what the fuck? And trying to calm calm this woman down, calm Betty down. But she is psychotic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she says it's the end of days. It's finally time. And they have to kill people to send their souls on to heaven. Yep. And she starts singing this hymn and shit. And they're like, oh, this bitch is crazy. But then more people come in behind her. Yeah. And they're all guys wearing brown shirts. And we find out all the cultists kind of dress, at least the males. It mirrors that, um, the st- the display stand that we saw right. in the hospital. Right. Yeah. So you know that's like the same church, basically. Yeah. They got that kind of um, Jehovah's Witness sort yeah. of dress code thing going. But also the brown shirts reminds you of like Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Intentional, I would say. Yeah, I was I would say that's very very intentional. <laughs> so then we do a flashback. Yeah, now we how did this happen really? How did the train stop? Well let's flash back <laughs> and show you. Right, right, right. So we're on the train and we see another hot Asian lady. Yes, uh, Julie, played by Emily Shelton. Very pretty. And very she's, pretty. she's very good in this, too. But she's singing this really... Man, it's so annoying how she's singing. She's listening to the headphones and she's singing along <laughs> to the lyrics. And it's just kind of... Yes. I think it's cringe, as the kids would say. 
Um, I thought it was adorable, so I'm just gonna listen. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think anything she would do would be adorable? I don't blame you. But unfortunately, she is in a train car with Patrick. Yep. He's been making the rounds looking for train cars with lone women in them. <laughs> Apparently. And he creeps onto her, asking her if she wants some quick 200 bucks. And says, it might be your last chance to have fun. Hmm. She tells him to get lost. And he says, that's the wrong answer. And the fucker slams the emergency stop button. Yep. Which halts the train, and then he attempts to assault her. Yes. He pulls out a cross dagger, like Betty mm-hmm. had, and starts assaulting her. And uh, But the conductor is like, investigating, seeing what's going on. You know, who the fuck pulled that thing? And during this, we also get a look at some of the other train cars, and we can see there are some with like random people in them. Yes. And there's some with uh, more of the brown outfit-wearing yep. uh, church members. Yep. We get this younger couple, they're making out, yeah. taking advantage of the darkness and stuff like that. She's kind of reluctant. You see she's wearing a cross. <laughs> That's uh, Sarah, isn't it? Sarah, Sarah, yes. Nina, Phyllis. She's good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone brings it in this movie. I really think so. Yeah. There's a couple of weak performances. There's some of the side casts that are a little, yeah. a little stiff. But, but, I mean, for a low-budget movie, you know, I, I think they brought it. Um, but he's like, oh, come on, let's do it. And then suddenly she has a quick turnaround. She's like, yeah. okay, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> like, right here, baby. That was, that was <laughs> weird to me, but I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll just let it go. It makes sense later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see more creepy religious people on the train singing. Um, the conductor comes out and he comes across uh, Patrick. And he kind of like shifts the knife behind Emily. Yeah. To like take her hostage and right. convinces he, her to admit that she pressed the button. Right. And he's like, hey, stop fucking around. <laughs> it's like either he can't tell she's in distress or doesn't give a shit, you know? I was just like, man. Come on. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, the young couple who are messing around. They decide to go fool around on the train tracks. Yes. <laughs> Which is also odd. Strangely. It's uh, John, right? John and Sarah. So John and Sarah decide, hey, we're going to go fuck around outside the train for some reason while it stopped. And they go out and they're like banging on the side of it and shit like that, being all annoying. And I guess that's who yeah, Karen that, heard earlier. And I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Why yeah, they do that? Right. Whatever, whatever. Um, but we see uh, three of the... I'm just, I'm just start calling them cult members because that's what okay. they are. Sure. Um, so I was going to say uh, John. John is played by Tim Rosen. And he has done a lot more stuff. He uh, has a very prominent role in that sci-fi show, Winona Earp. Okay. He plays uh, Doc Holliday in that. Oh, all right. I never watched that. So, that was who I thought had the most success out of any of these people, but I'm not, <laughs> not 100%. Uh, yeah, so we see the three cult members sitting together, and they're talking about how great it was to see the Reverend in person. Mm-hmm. And uh, all their pagers go off. And one of them in the middle, his name's Jerry. He's like really freaked out. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute. Because they're all looking at it and they're all like smiling and say, you know, it's time. This is it. And he's like, wait, maybe we should get confirmation first, you know? Yeah, he says, wait till we get to the next station and we can call the yeah. reverend and ask. But uh, the other dudes are like, no, we got to do this now. Yep. They say, this is exactly what he said it would be. Mm-hmm. We got the message. We got to go. Yep. It's time. The wing come back to Patrick assaulting uh, Emily and his pager goes off. And she takes the time, the, her advantage, to get Mace out and spray him in the face. 
And then we see the young horny couple. That's how I address them in my notes, the young horny couple. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, heading back to the train car when the girl has a pager that goes off. Yeah. she's freaking out. And she's like, we got to get out of here. But you can tell uh, she's not so, I guess, indoctrinated. Right. Yes. She gave in to the power of horniness. <laughs> As so many do. <laughs> Who can resist? <laughs> um. Say so that we're seeing more um, cult members on there, and they're all like bringing out their daggers and shit. And one of them has a fucking sword. Yeah, it's very much like a like European like knightly, yeah, like, crusader sword. Right, right, right. Which again kind of reinforces some of those uh, mm-hmm. strange metaphors of, yeah. of meaning. And that's the whole theme too, yeah. because they start stabbing passengers, and they're saying that God loves them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one guy, Neil. Yeah, he grabs our a, other lead guy. He, he grabs a fire axe and he's running away from these guys. He gets off the train. He kind of he's like a badass. He's like one of the, the coolest people in this. Played by Neil Napier. He has a bunch of additional credits and other stuff, but I don't know of anything prominent. He was in Three Hundred. He was in Riddick. Uh, he was apparently in one of the X Men movies. It was like an extra. Hmm. So. Okay. So those three cult members, they're killing people. Jerry doesn't want to kill anyone, but his buddy says, oh, we got to. And then one of the members, his name's Steven, starts to convulse. And then the other guy's like, oh, my God, he's possessed. We got to save him and start stabbing him. <laughs> so you're dead right about the whole crusader thing. That's what these people think they are. They think they're like yeah. holy crusaders saving people's lives by killing them. God's, God's holy warriors. People's souls, yes. And this is probably a good time to mention that the director was um, highly influenced by uh, 9-11. When he I mean, you this. can see. That was something I put in my notes just because I think, like, from 9-11 on, that was, like, a big impact on horror in general and, like, the d- direction that things went and the stuff that got focused on. Like, that started the rise of torture porn where it was, like, you just had to show all the violence full on and full out and nothing was too extreme right. anymore. And, and, and foreigners are dangerous. Uh-huh. And if you're overseas, you're fucked. You yeah. Know, that kind of thing. And then at the same time, things like ghosts mm-hmm. were like on the decline because that's not scary anymore because that's not real. Yeah, it's not real life. Yeah. But yeah, he was, he was so taken by how people have, would have such a religious fervor that they thought they were doing the right thing by killing people. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So now everyone's running away, being chased by the cultists in the tunnel. Yeah. Our this, our, this is where our group comes together. Our survivors kind of link up, which is another very, it felt like a sci-fi original plot point. Where sure. I mean, it's the whole Night of the Living Dead <laughs> thing, right? You know? Which I feel like that's a big influence on this team. It is, especially yeah. one particular scene. Um, everyone's running away, and they run into a couple of the workmen there down in the tunnels. And they're like, you know, what the fuck's going on? Like the People are trying to kill us. And they see the cultists coming toward them, and they're like, okay, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, so they take him to this office. It's a little maintenance office. Yeah, and they lock the door, shut the door. It's this big metal door. It looks pretty sturdy. I'm sure it'll hold. <laughs> they try to call the police. The uh, line's not working. Yep. They turn on the TV. There's a weird broadcast on. Yeah, like at the moment, it's like uh, just that bubbly red liquid yeah. that's showing up, right? Uh, one of them has a cell phone, but there's no signal. And, and this is kind of like a bunch of things happen here, but it's like they gear themselves up with some weapons. And then Karen also gets a first aid kit and treats Mike. Yep. Which I, I, And I was saying, how come she's not? And then she says, oh, is there a first aid kit? Okay, great. Yeah. Good, good. Got to heal your <laughs> wounded, man. That's like rule number one. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and that's when we get uh, the interruption of the broadcast. Mm-hmm. No, no, not quite yet. Not quite yet. It's a little we, we further see, on. We see the cultists outside. And we find out they're, they're called the Voice of the Eternal Hope. Which is church. such a random... Yeah, Christian offshoot. Bye bye. It, yeah. sound, it sounds. It scans. <laughs> it totally scans. They're outside telling them they just want to save their souls. Yep. Just open the door and let them in. Mm-hmm. They're gonna save their souls. And we get this like undershot of Betty at the door, which the director said is a direct homage to Jack Torrance and The Shining. Ooh, yeah. wow, coincidence. Ooh. <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> um. Now the workmen can't raise anyone on the radios. Yeah, they turn on a TV. All they're getting is this weird, like, footage of, like, bubbling blood or something. Yeah, it looks like that, but also sometimes it looks like, like fire and embers in a way. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys there uh, is named Davis. And I wrote my lo- notes. This guy looks a lot like Dwayne Jones <laughs> from Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Because I was even saying, I was like, oh, here's our final survivor right here. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, the commentary the director says, like, yes. I hired this guy because, one, he was a good actor, and he reminded me so much of Dwayne Jones. And this is my Night of the Living Dead moment, where everyone's holed up in a place trying to figure yep. out what to do. That uh, that actor is Danny Blanco Hall. Yeah. Yeah. And then his buddy is Frankie. Frankie. Played by John Vanvas. Yeah. His is one of the weakest performances, I it thought. It is, yeah. He's very stiff. But it's also strangely sympathetic. It's 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 strangely honest. They have an interesting relationship, the two of them. You can tell they've worked together a long time. And Davis kind of dogs him about, like, he has this wife that he's obsessed with now. And he tells him, like, oh, she's way out of your league, man. I don't know how you got her. (laughs) (laughs) Which, interestingly, put a pin in for later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it becomes, eventually the uh, the cult leaves. They realize they're not going to get through the door. There's plenty more people to go after. So they kind of drift away. And it becomes this debate of, like, do we just wait here? Yeah, what do we do? And hope for help. Or do we go and try to make it to the next station? Yeah. And they surmise that the cult has somehow um, commandeered like the local radio stations and stuff yeah. like that, which sounds kind of far-fetched, but at the same time... I mean, one of the things this made me think a lot about was um, the uh, sarin gas attacks in Tokyo mm. that that cult did, where I mean, like, if not for the fact that some of their stuff was made so shoddily that it didn't go off, like, right. they would have gotten away with that. So. Yeah, right, right. And I could see people... That's Om uh, Shinrikyo, reaching for the name. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I could see some of these church members being able to infiltrate every you know walk of life. Oh, yeah. You know, because they, display, they, they present themselves as just kind of like maybe a more strict, you know, sect of, of um, Christianity. I mean, there's plenty of those. It's not too, too yeah. unusual. But they're still doing, like, uh, public service and stuff. You can right. tell through the yeah. hospital, so... But there's nothing obviously nefarious about these people. Mm-hmm. Um, like the best cults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Neil, he's a guy with the axe, and he's like, I think we need to go. We need to get out of here, go to the next station. Well, he mentions he has to get back to his family. Yeah. That's I, his driving right, thing. I gotta get my family. And uh, Davis has a really cool line here. He says, I think it was Davis. Or, no, it was John, the younger guy. Yeah. He says, just because you're carrying an axe in your hand doesn't make you King Conan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great line. It is good. Um, yeah, Frankie doesn't want to leave. So ultimately, Davis and Frankie decide to stay, 
And they give a walkie-talkie to the group mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. kind of radio back and keep them posted on their progress. Yeah, and they also realize that, oh, this cult probably killed the other workers, which is why they're not answering yeah. the radio, so they might have keys. Yep. So watch the fuck out. Yep. And that was kind of the argument that finally turns everyone, is they're like, well, if they do have the keys, we can't seal them out of this room. So. Yeah. So they start like arming everybody, crowbars, hammers, shit like that. <laughs> um, and one of the group, I forget how they come, they randomly explain that the group doesn't uh, use guns. It's against their faith. Yeah. It was Neil, because uh, he has this line about how he kind of maybe fluttered with the group before, looked into them. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's a cut scene where he says that he was a member for a little while but left. Oh, interesting. So he knows a little bit more about them than the others. Uh, but yeah. is this where we get to one of the coolest scenes in the whole film? I think it is, right? <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Sure. So they're on their way. They're cutting through the tunnels, you know, ducking in the little alcoves when they can. And they kind of just turn a corner and they run into two little kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're in those little brown uniforms. Yep. And it reminds you of the like Jehovah's Witness kids that will come to your door and shit like that. Yeah. I once uh, was walking home from a friend's house after playing D&D and got accosted by some of them. Yeah? Yeah. They wanted to see what books I was carrying, and then they were like, ooh. Really? Yeah. Wow. They didn't take out dagger no, crosses and stab you, did they? No. <laughs> it wasn't time yet, so. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, there's these two kids, and they're like, you know, hey, kids, get the fuck out of here, you know? Uh, <laughs> one of them uh, gets scared and runs off. But the other one's like, no, I have to do this. Yeah, this, yeah. this is what the reverend commands. Yeah, this is what he, God commands. He runs with them yelling with a dagger. And uh, John, the younger guy, just brings him in the head with the crowbar. Just fucking clocks him, dude. Yeah. And it full on shows it and everything. But it's kind of cool because the kid kind of reels back and you just see blood like pouring out of his head. And then he just collapses. And then he collapses. <laughs> um, and John feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid made me and he's not wrong. Uh-huh. And I wrote in my notes, fuck that kid. Yeah, I was like, kill that fucking kid. Also, Jason, I'm so proud. You finally graduated from children in peril to actual child death. So Yeah, you know. Yeah, you did it. Yay! It took almost four years, but you did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, fuck these kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Karen's like, oh no, you know, and she goes to try to treat the kid, but a little too late. <laughs> and we cut back to Frankie and Davis, and uh, Frankie's talking about how he's been eating nothing but like... Rye bread and muffins. Yeah, he's real hungry. Yeah. And yeah, that's when Davis has that line about how that you know your wife's too hot for you and shit like that. But then a pager starts to go off in their lockers. Yeah. Frankie's locker. Uh-huh. As it would be. Davis is like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so that I guess that's kind of thrillerish too, because then we get a nice like back and forth with them of like mm-hmm. Davis doesn't know if he can trust him now and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he said he joined the cult like a year ago because Brenda's a member. Yeah. And he says, he's not a believer. He says, I, I, I sit there and listen to the sermons, but I don't really understand what they're saying. You know? <laughs> he's a simple man, Frankie. He's a simple man. Yeah. He's got his hot wife. He's trying to make her happy. What, what more are you asking for? He's just a simple man trying to make his way through the universe. <laughs> All right. Uh, but Davis is like, fuck that. Get out. I can't trust you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately... <laughs> unfortunately yeah there's a couple of scenes that happen here because like Karen and the group uh, are going through the tunnels and they stop because she thought she saw something yeah she sees some more of those demony things maybe yeah but then maybe not because mm-hmm. they're gone immediately Mike tells her it was probably just a trick of the eye 
the light and the shadow, and she's nervous and stuff with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that other brother who ran off jumps out, yeah, and, and stabs John, uh, the one who crowbar, and he crowbars this kid too, but doesn't kill him, <laughs> and they leave him behind. So now they got two wounded. Yeah, kind of hobbling along with and him. And John's cut is a little worse than what Mike got. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so they finally make their way into the control room, and they find that creeper Patrick from before. And he's carving up bodies. <laughs> he's just axing away, man. <laughs> and, okay, and there's this, this good scene, the good line where they, they're all looking at him, and he stops. He says, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this scene made me so mad. Like, How so? So, obviously they secure Patrick. Yeah, they tie him up. They don't know if they can trust him. Because Emily's like, this is the guy who was attacking Well, that's part of the thing that frustrated me, is that like he's like looking at Emily, or not Emily, looking at uh, Julie. Julie's the character. Julie, Julie. Yeah. He's looking at Julie, and he's making eyes at her, and like taunting her and shit, and she's just standing there, and I was like, well, number one, you could just fucking kill him at this point. Number two, like, tell everyone that he assaulted you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she does at some point. It, it really drags it out, and he just gets to, like, mog the whole time. Well, he's taunting her, and then, yeah. Yeah, then she starts beating him up, attacking him and shit. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they pull her off of him. I, I know that horror films thrive on people making dumb decisions, but this is one that's just like... But she does she she, does, she just, does say just this. Just ice this dude. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, there's a good people who don't want to kill people. You know, and that's something I'll go ahead and say about this group too. I like a lot. They work together. Yeah. You know, they're actually trying to help each other. You don't have the guy saying, "Oh, I'm in it for myself. Fuck you," <laughs> and like knocking one of them down to get away or something. You know. Every Saw movie ever. Right, or any zombie movie yeah. ever. They're actually working together. I like that. It's refreshing. You know. Um, and they don't want to just discriminately kill people. I also appreciate that, because in real life. It, I'm sure it's much harder to kill someone in real life, especially if they are helpless than what movies may lead us to believe. <laughs> you know, at least I hope it is. I don't know. <laughs> You're just a bloodthirsty son of a bitch, aren't you, Dustin? <laughs> so we cut back to the workers. So they very safely secure him with duct tape. Very safely. No way he's getting out. No of way this. he's getting out. Yeah, but yeah, we cut back to uh, Davis and Frankie. And this is the unfortunately, uh, the whole thing about like, oh, they probably have the keys. Turns out to be true. Yeah, yeah. And there's a scene I kind of wish wasn't in the movie because we see Frankie look down the stairwell and it's one of those demons looking yeah. up at him. And he's freaking out, banging on the door. Let me in, let me in. Oh, God. I wish that wasn't there. Yeah. Here's the problem. So I'll say it now. We're not to the end, of course. But the twist of this film is they want you to think, are those demons real or not? Yeah. Or is it just in people's heads? Hallucinations. The problem is they never give you the rope to hang yourself with. That's like any good twist is there has to be that doubt there. Like I think of some of the other films we've done like um, Come True uh-huh. or Ultrasound. Both of those at the end, you you have an ending, you have a resolution, but then they give you just a little more to make you go, well, huh. Mm-hmm. But what about this though? Right. And then you're left with that to ponder. Right. Here they never like thread that through because the only people that ever see the demons are the cult and then Karen. And over the course of the film, we finally get the link up of why she's seen them too. Well, it's anyone it, who's been eating these muffins and yeah. stuff. And Frank and Frankie does say he's been eating nothing but those muffins and yeah. shit lately. And also when they're there with um, Patrick tied up, I think it's uh, Sarah. She has one. Yeah, she's, she's eating it. And he's like, oh, those muffins. Yeah, they're pretty addictive. Uh-huh, yeah. 
Yeah. But, and I'm okay with that being maybe a possibility, but at the same time, I don't think people would have the exact identical hallucinations. Yeah. Like she, he, Frankie would not see the same demon that mm-hmm. Karen saw. Yeah. If they were seeing different things, I could attribute it to that more. But then there's a school of thought that taking drugs just opens your mind to the An- real another, reality. Another place, yeah. Yeah. The fucking, what, like the machine elves and shit like that. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know. That, that That's the aspect of the movie I don't think is necessary. Right. Anyway. Yeah, so he's freaking out, banging on the door. Um, Davis lets him in because he's a fool. <laughs> <laughs> and then the TV comes back on and we see that preacher from the posters that yeah. we've been seeing all over town uh, showing up. There's like, like scenes of chaos all over the world. And he's talking about how uh, those who remain alive will be possessed by the demons. So they kill everyone. So, yeah, it, we're, we're doing the Lord's work by killing people. We're saving you from the demons. If, if, if we kill you before the demons come, you'll go to heaven. So then the broadcast goes off and the power goes out. Um... And then that's where the cult catches up to Davis and Frankie, right? Uh, yeah, here in a minute. There's a scene because the, the other group sees it too. Karen oh, yeah, and yeah, them. yeah. And Mike says, this isn't real. This is all like special effects. <laughs> you know, what we're seeing on TV isn't actually happening. Which I do like the premise with the train and the train tunnel because they don't have any external info. Yeah, they're totally cut off, right? Yeah. So you really don't know. That part is handled well. Mm-hmm. And Patrick says something like how that, that's why he was chopping up the bodies to make sure they don't come back. And he says, you know, we should have a little bit of fun while we're saving people's souls. <sighs> um, and then Karen and Mike have a little conversation about, uh, like, ghosts and demons in the afterlife. And he thinks that it would be great to see a ghost, to get actual confirmation. Yeah. Because that means at least that you know that there's life after death. Mm-hmm. Which also sort of plays into the end of the movie, uh-huh. I think, in a way. But it kind of reassures Karen, at least, a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their big problem is that John is too injured. Karen has checked him out. She's patched him up as best she could with the first aid kit that's there. However, his wound is so bad that if they try to move him a lot, it's just going to reopen again. Yep. And they send a, they radio Davis, and they find out the office is overrun by cultists. And they decide to get moving, but he can't move. So Sarah's going to stay there with him. Yep. Along with the creeper tied up. <laughs> Another immediate bad idea, but okay, let's go. He's tied up. He can't do anything. It's fine. Yeah, then we get to the scene where the cultists have gone into the control room with Frankie and Davis. Yep, they're led by Betty again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Frankie is like, I'm one of you. <laughs> it's okay. And they know it. And they're like, we, we, know, we know you're one of us, Frankie. It's okay. But... They also know that his faith has been a little shaky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he needs to prove himself. And Davis is trying to get Frankie to tell them, hey, I'm one of you too. <laughs> uh, like, you liar. You know, they know better. Yeah. Uh, so one of the cultists kills Davis with a sword. Yeah. Chops at his neck. And this is a good effect too. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. Mm-hmm. It looks good. Um, Adrian Marat was a special effects guy. And apparently he said he watched like real beheadings Ooh. to be able to do this right. Oh, okay, geez. Yeah, I know. He was really dedicated to his <laughs> my craft. Man, my man's hardcore, okay. He is. But I, he's a good special effects artist. I, I, I like this effect. 
And because it doesn't go all the way through. It, like, stops at the, you know. And it wouldn't, because this isn't, like, a trained sword fighter. Yeah, it's not a big execution of axe either, you know. But it, like, chops into it, and his head's kind of lolling off, hanging off. It's just some loser that probably has owned that for, like, 20 years, and it's set on his mantle. (laughs) And he's excited that he finally gets to use it. Right. Interestingly enough, I was watching special features and stuff, and it shows an alternate take of this that's gorier. Oh. And I wish that was in the movie. Too bad. Because it's like two or three strikes. Mm. And it still doesn't come off. He just keeps chopping into it. <laughs> but it looks great. Oh, yeah. That makes it a little more brutal. But apparently they used a mold, an existing mold they had of uh, the guy who played Neil mm. instead of the actor who played Davis. They thought it looked close enough. <laughs> and if you're not really seeing it good enough, uh-huh. you won't notice. Huh. But, yeah. Well. Good effect. R.I.P. Davis. Yeah, so Davis is dispatched, and they tell Frankie he has to prove himself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the crowd kind of parts, and his wife's there. Yeah, and comes his wife, Brenda. And she's pregnant. She's very pregnant. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Frankie's like, oh, I was held here against my will. I wanted to come join you all. <laughs> yeah, she says, okay, so Betty seems to be the leader of this cult, mm-hmm. right? At least this, this section of yeah. it. Yeah. And she's like, you got to prove yourself. you got to cure your wife. Which he, of course, does not want to do at all. But they point out, you know, if you don't do this, they're going to get possessed. And mm-hmm. yep. it's going to be bad demons and stuff. But he can't do it. No. So Brenda stabs him instead. And then the cult members descend upon Brenda. Yeah. And then you get the gratuitous sequence. Because <laughs> they're laying there side by this side. This is where you remember this was made in 2007. Yeah. It has to be yeah. edgy and stuff. They're laying there side by side, and it is kind of creepy because Brenda's like smiling because it's a happy yeah. thing for her while she's bleeding out in her husband's arms, and then they they lay the fetus on top of them. Yeah. Ooh, edgy. Yeah. <laughs> well, could have been worse. Could have been like the puppet master <laughs> movie worse. <laughs> I mean, we've done movies that are worse, so yeah, we have, we have. We have. Uh. So is that is that too mean spirited? Is that too gratuitous? Is it misplaced in this movie? I think it's a good scene just because it shows the kind of devotion of the cult. It's that juxtaposition too, because to yeah. them this is a beautiful tableau. Mm-hmm. You know, where with the rest of us, it's like, oh, it's horrible, it's repulsive. And I think it's good because it shows that disconnect of like, obviously us watching it. It's like this is just horrific. How could anyone ever do this? Mm-hmm. But we're seeing from them their logic. Of, right. You know, we have saved these people now. Yeah, it's just like the 9-11 thing. Mm. To certain horrible extremists, not the majority, of, you know, some Muslims probably looked at that and were like, yeah, that's a great thing. You know, extreme minority. Um, and it's the same thing here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Sarah's sitting there munching on muffins while her boyfriend's bleeding out. Yeah. And that's where, like, Patrick says, those are addictive, aren't they? And Patrick drops a little uh, expansion to our lore here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because we learned that uh, he's actually a higher up. They kind of have some, like... Oh, he's one of the reference lieutenants. Yeah, they call him lieutenants. Mm-hmm. That sort of help run everything. And he's like, you know, untie me. I'll forget about all this. You know, no one has to know. We'll kill this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> and he also, he also intuits what they've done. Yeah. He's like, I know you've had sex. And I'll keep it to myself. If you want timing, this this perv sex detector is like <laughs> off the charts. 
Uh, but she starts freaking out and she runs into the bathroom and is like puking and stuff. And then she has a vision, mm-hmm. uh, hallucination of, of John coming at her with that same kind of mouth being yeah. fused kind of look. Which further ties up the uh, muffin connection. Maybe they're very specific drugs. They trigger very <laughs> specific hallucinations. See, I, I tried to puzzle that out and I was like, well, maybe if like the way the Reverend indoctrinated people... But then the problem is that Karen sees the same thing. Yeah. And she had nothing to do with them. Right. She just ate the muffin. Right. So, yeah, you're right. Like, if you're programmed to perceive something yeah, in like a certain he, way. He had coached them the whole time. Yeah. But, eh. Uh, so outside, like, Patrick's trying to wiggle free of his bonds. And <laughs> his John's cr- like, oh, he's getting loose. Come out here. Help me. <laughs> and Sarah comes out and starts untying him. And John's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <sighs> and that's a good scene where... Uh, Patrick's trying to get her to stab him. He's holding John down. Yeah. She can't do it. So then Patrick just grabs her hand and plunges the dagger down into his chest. And then Patrick returns to his old rapey ways. Yeah, of course he assaults Sarah. Yeah. Uh, which we he does dish a little. I think it, it might have been earlier, but he talks about how he's technically still a virgin. And he doesn't want to go out of the world having never experienced sex before. Fair enough. Yeah, I guess this is one of those creepy kind of um, Heaven's Gate cults where you're not supposed to have sex or anything. (sighs) Unless you're married, I suppose. So yeah, he's assaulting her, and then the other cultists come in. (laughs) He's got this funny line where he says, doesn't anybody knock? (laughs) Yes. Well, you immediately give yourself up. Yeah, but then he stands up and he's like, she bewitched me. Satan's working through her, tempting me. And then also, don't we learn that Sarah is someone important in the church? Isn't she the daughter of someone... I don't recall. I didn't write that down, no. But Betty comes in, and she's like, she kind of respects Patrick's position. Mm-hmm. Like, she's kind of stern with him, saying, hey, don't do this. But once he talks about how Sarah tempted him, yeah, she's like, oh, okay, lieutenant's son, you know. <laughs> He's entitled, so he gets away with it. Um, and she says, hey, she's unclean. She's had sex and all this stuff. So then they stab her and kill her. But Patrick says, I'm still pure. I haven't had sex yet. (laughs) So Betty's like, okay, well, let's go on. Let's go save some more souls. (laughs) Meanwhile, our main survivor group has been rushing down the tunnel. Yeah. They're almost to the station. Yeah, but we get a good battle here. Yeah. They come across the dude with the sword and some other people. And they're like, you know, fuck these people. We got to fight through them, right? (laughs) So we get a nice little fight. Yeah. Some good gore here. There's a good hammer to the jaw of the woman. And uh, the guy with the axe. Neil gets him good in the head Mm -hmm. with the axe blade. That's a nice fun effect. Um, Mike gets stabbed again. He's just a fucking pincushion at this point. This is not his day. Yeah. Uh, But this one's in the leg, right? So now he's... It looks like it's at the femoral artery, too. Yeah, struggling to walk. Yeah. Yeah, Karen's trying to give him first aid, but he's hurt too bad and can't move. Julie decides to stay with them, and Neil says, you know, I'm sorry, but I get to my family. They're like, it's okay, go, dude. Mm-hmm. They say, well, we'll come along slowly, and you you go ahead, mm-hmm. kind of clear the way. And this is where we get, like, one of the most interesting scenes, I think, of, like, he, he gets to the station, and we get him, like, jumping the, the like, turnstile and going up the escalator and everything. And we finally get to a point where you can see the outside world. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's some fires going on and cult members out there, blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah, um, to his horror, it's all true. It's all true. Did you catch a reflection of the crew? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the little goofs. That's but... a little too obvious. It really takes <laughs> you out of the moment. Oops. Yeah. But he's freaking out about this. And then, oh, no, Betty's behind him. Yeah, this is where they kind of start teleporting around. Well, Devereaux said this was his homage to Tenebrae. Oh, yeah? He says he didn't pull it off nearly as well as Argento did because the ankle just wasn't right. But <laughs> this was his reference to when you know, the killer's standing behind the cop and everything. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, she stabs him in the back. And he's dying and she's holding him and singing their hymns and all that stuff. <sighs> Sad time for Neil. Yeah. Meanwhile... We have a cat that's joined us in the studio. Yeah, my poor blind kitty has wandered oh. up here. Hi, girl. Hi, sweetie. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to know what's going on. What's going on? What's all this noise about? Why are you both ranting so much? <laughs> uh, so they're trying to... Julie and Karen are trying to carry Mike, but he's like, I'm not going to make it. Let's go on. And, and Julie runs off. And Karen's forced to leave him. He says, make a lot of noise for me. Maybe you yeah. can distract, distract to him. this. Yeah. And then Mike makes the best play of the film because some of the cultists drift by and he plays dead. Yeah, and there's just little shit. He's like stabbing the bodies, <laughs> making sure they're dead. And he's about to get to, to Mike and then stops. And then the other person's like, dude, come on, they're already dead. Yeah, we, we already saved ourselves. Come on, yeah. Uh, but Patrick sees Karen running off by herself. And he thinks, now's the chance. Yeah, he's like, uh, you guys go ahead. I think I saw something over here. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> So he corners her in like, well, it's like a room with like a generator or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's almost like Freddy's boiler room or something. Has that vibe. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Julie's run off and she's gotten back in one of those subway cars. And she's also, there's a group that gets on the car with her and she's like, ah, oh, she's just got a hammer. She's fucked. However. However. Something happens. Uh, all the cultist pagers start going off. And the cult members attacking Julie say that they're sorry. Yeah, they just stop and they're like, hey, we're sorry. Yeah. And you're like, sorry about what? Sorry you killed everybody or what? <laughs> so then they turn to each other and they start giving each other pills, like cyanide pills. Yep. Real fast acting cyanide pills, too. They're barely in there and people start foaming. Uh, yeah, they're giving each other pills and um, holding hands and singing and they start convulsing foaming at the mouth fall down dead and this is where we follow back up on Jerry because he's afraid to do this part as, yeah. as any rational person would be right right but his buddy's like no we have to no, we gotta save our souls this is the only way and, and tellingly they have to give each other the pill they yeah. can't take it themselves then it's suicide right Cause that, that would be wrong <laughs> which there's yourself. the one dude who gets stuck and he's alone and he pops it in his mouth and he says please forgive me yeah as he's doing it yeah um, and Patrick's like cornering Karen uh, he's answered his pager and he says it's the end of the line we'll, we'll see if it is or not and then Betty comes running in there and finds Patrick and says oh we've got to exchange our pills it's time I can't find anyone else he's just like shit yeah he's like fuck this and he stabs her saw that coming yeah yeah uh, Karen comes out tries to reason with him he attacks her uh, and look, tellingly, we see her. We see him slice her shoulder. Yeah, where we saw the scar earlier, because we see her her shoulder bare, and there's no scar at this point, which implies that that first scene 
happened after all this. Yeah. All right. Um, and the power goes off in the subway car, leaving Julie in the dark. And she just kind of has a breakdown and is just screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, we get back to Mike. He encounters, he's hobbling along. He sees the kid whose brother was killed earlier. And the kid's like, uh, the others are gone. They left me and it's all your fault. And uh, the kid sees something behind Mike. Yeah, he takes off. Freaking out about it. Yeah. But when Mike looks, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen's getting insulted by Patrick. And she bites his lip off. Another good effect. Oh, yeah. This was like a real turn because I didn't expect her to be... I didn't expect her to go that hard. Yeah, but, she does. She yeah. goes hardcore. She's like, fuck this. I'm tired of giving this guy <laughs> any slack. Time to end him. And uh, stabs him with his dagger. And yep. he says thank you as he's dying. And Karen's trying to crawl away. Um, we see uh, Betty's body kind of twitch a little bit. And Karen sort of stops. And then we see a shot of the tunnel. And yeah, these demon faces are coming out. Yeah, and this is like walls. one of the best scenes of the film. Handily. It is. Yeah, yeah. The, the creature effects are really good. The makeup's great. They look amazing. And it's, yeah, it just suddenly swarms with demons, and they're closing in on mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah, and they're all creeping around her, and some stuff. are even like crawling on the ceiling. And we see one emerge from Betty's body. Yeah, that's a great effect. Yeah. Um, and and she's freaking out, crying, and they're all covering around her, reaching out for her, and then she just sort of like stops and looks at, like, directly at the camera and kind of smiles mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, we get, we get a little A24 mm-hmm. <laughs> technique. And then the movie ends. Which doesn't... Mike does like start to catch up with her, right? Isn't that while she's flipping out? The last we see of Mike is that kid leaving him. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. And we hear something behind Mike. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where it ends. Yeah, that's the end. So... Thoughts, notes, reactions? Well, I have a few notes. Okay, There's not okay. a lot out here about this film. Probably most of it's held in the special features. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. So I, I pulled this quote from Devereaux. He was talking about kind of his own like background in film and like his influences and stuff. He said, uh, Mine is a typical film geek heritage. Tons of Spielberg, Lucas, and comic book superheroes as a kid. Superman the movie, Star Wars, Close Encounters, Empire, and Raiders are the movies that made me want to become a movie maker. In my teens, that gave way to Carpenter, Kubrick, Raimi, Coppola, Romero, and Argento. I also learned a lot reading Starlog and Fangoria magazines. In my 20s, Lynch, Von Trier, The Coens, Jodorowsky, Romer, Allen, and Scorsese all became a big part of my cinephile diet. Uh, Gigs directing and editing commercials and music videos, co-writing, editing, and assistant directing various shorts and features for filmmaker friends kept me alive during the long years trying to complete my own features. And the cat is drinking Dustin's water. She can. She's allowed. Aww. I allow it. There you go. Mm. So, yeah. Um, it sounds like a dude we'd be His friends with. His influences are spot on. I mean, there's all the people that we love. Uh, the film had a very limited release in its debut, but it generally got pretty favorable reviews from the initial critics that saw it. Uh, the Village Voice called it scary as hell and impressively unrelenting. Uh, C. Robert Cargill from Ain't It Cool praised it as a truly inspired original effort, noting the quality of the film compared to its modest budget. 
Uh, it also screened at many different film festivals and won prizes at several, including getting Fantastic Fest Special Jury Prize that year. Uh, it was an official selection of the Toronto International Film Festival and got the Audience Award for Best Feature at Dead by Dawn Film Festival in Scotland. Dead by Dawn. And then it got a Silver Audience Award at Fantasia. Nice. So, so some accolades. Yeah, some accolades. Had some momentum. Seems it just... Uh, didn't make it out of the station, you might say. <laughs> uh, oh, I've been waiting all episode for that. Wonderful. Okay. Very good. Very natural. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> now, uh, do you have any other notes? Or? Um, I mean, a few things. Um, watching, I listened to the commentary and watched some behind-the-scenes features on the DVD, and Devereaux seems very, very passionate mm-hmm. and, and sincere about his art, which I appreciate. Um, he mentioned that due to... Um, the rules in Canada, union rules and stuff, you have to pay people up front, apparently. Ooh. So he was constantly concerned about falling behind on production and something getting messed up. Right. Um, so he said that, he gave an example of like, during one of the, sh- one times doing the shooting, he was a little distant, a little off, and someone asked him, uh, you know, what, what did you do on our day off yesterday? And he thought to himself, well, I can't tell you that I just attended my dad's funeral because I don't want anyone to know. He didn't tell anyone that his father wow. had died because he didn't want to jeopardize production. Because people would want to stop at that point and right. let right. him have time. So and... he had to deal with all of that. <sighs> well, he's a trooper, man. Yeah. I'll say that. I mean, he, he's passionate. He's yeah. a, I think he's a, he's a real artist, you know? Um, so I, I, you got to bow down to that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things that's like, Part of it is you got to have the stuff, but then another part of it is like, it's got to be the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that never happens. And I think it's cool he financed it himself. Oh yeah, you know this. I guess this this was before the whole Kickstarter GoFundMe thing really hit. Which I wonder if he did something like that. Maybe he could get the funding, or if he even wants to at this point. But right. Yeah. I don't know what the guy's I, up to. This I, was two thousand seven. I'd this watch is almost, movie. This is almost twenty damn years ago. Yeah. You know, it's been a hot minute. Yeah. Uh, but I would definitely fund one of his films before certain other directors who sure. seem to get funding no problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what do you think about the ending? Okay, so so yeah, this is this is it's all threaded through now. So obviously they eat the muffins. The muffins are laced with this fungus. It causes hallucinations. Maybe, yeah. That's why they're seeing the demons. The, the, what they needed is they needed one thing where you have some doubt. And I guess that's supposed to be the scene with Mike where there's something behind him that the kid sees. Right. And then we never go back to that. But it's just not enough. Like, if one character that had never touched a muffin saw them, that would be enough to be like, well, hold on then. That doesn't, the theory doesn't link up then. So then you have, like, doubt that you can go whatever way you want with it. Right, right. I think the muffin subplot, the whole, are they thing is unnecessary. Yeah. The ending of the movie, I would prefer to look at as it's the conversation that she had with Mike. She's seeing these demons. She's seeing this proof of the supernatural. So she has that moment of awe. Mm-hmm. That's my interpretation. Yeah. But then you get that scene at the beginning where she's in a shower and she's got the scar. Yeah. That's that wrecks that because you're thinking, okay, you clearly know that's after the events that we've just seen. And right. it's all been like a flashback. So how do you reconcile that? Is mm-hmm. it the fact that everything was just hallucinations? These people are... The people really are killing people, but demons <laughs> yeah. aren't coming out. Right. 
So she survived. Maybe maybe the, her look when she looks up at the end is, oh, the demons aren't there because mm-hmm. the drug wore off. So then everything kind of slowly goes back to normal. Yeah, we don't really know the parameters of the uh, But she's haunted and drug. she has trauma because she's in the shower and that dark shadow passes. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the, the remnants of her experience, her lingering trauma. I feel that. That's that's really the only way to make the movie work. If you accept that that scene at the beginning takes place after this, mm-hmm. and the scar would seem to denote that. I I think you're spot on. Yeah, I, I have no nothing to add, and nothing to refute. So. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. That's unusual. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no room for the question. You know, like uh, like brimstone. I'll give you this. We can have that debate about what's going on there uh-huh. because they left enough gray area. Right. But here, there's just no no space for the debate. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do think the movie works better without the hallucinogenic yeah. angle. Because the fact that the cult was right is kind of scary enough and kind of a twist of, in its own. Mm-hmm. And that's more interesting than everything being a hallucination to me. Yeah. And you so. can still read it that way. But it's kind of hard to with all the other yeah. kind of... I mean, I say there's no room for debate, but you can interpret a film however you want. But right. to me, there's no room for debate. On a textual level, I don't yeah. think so either. All right, so I have seen this before. I guess I should go first. Sure. My, my your reflections. Um, yeah, I was impressed when I saw the movie for the reasons I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think it fucking holds up. I think it's a fun <laughs> little movie. It's not a great movie. It's not the most original, but also watching the special features and the commentary and listening to Devereaux a little bit, it gives me a little bit more appreciation for it and paying a little bit more attention to the actors Mm because everyone really does give it their all. Yeah. Everyone is going a hundred percent on this movie and you know, they didn't make that much. Probably not now. Um, so I really respect that. I think, I think it's a good piece of low budget filmmaking. Um, there's some nice some setup payoffs again. The whole subplot with is it all hallucination? I can kind of do without that hurts the movie a bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you could do a lot worse than this flick. Oh yeah, you know this this reminds me of the movies you would have seen like back in the day before streaming. You're flipping around on the cable channels, maybe even a sci-fi channel. Yeah, I was gonna something. say like this wasn't a sci-fi original, but if it had been. People would have ate this shit yeah, up. I wouldn't have clicked. I would have kept watching. Yeah. You know, it would have been those nice little surprises. Mm-hmm. You're watching HBO. What's the next movie coming on? End of the line. Okay. What's that? I don't know. Oh, I'll, watch it. I'll check it out. Oh, okay. That was, that was a pleasant <laughs> surprise. Yeah. It's one of those pleasant surprise movies. Mm-hmm. I still dig it. I like it. I recommend it to anyone who likes apocalyptic horror, cult horror movies, um, like survivalistic type mm-hmm. horror films. Um, yeah, it even... Um, the kind of, it made me think a lot of the first Purge movie, too, where it's like you have this big scope of a thing, which is the attack right. and everyone rioting the city, but they don't have the budget to do that, so they find like a narrow slice of yeah. it to focus on. Right, right. Um, now, the unnecessary, maybe it's all an illusion, hallucination thing hurts the movie for me. I think mm. I would write it high, rate it higher if it wasn't for that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm at a firm three and a half. Oh, wow. On this movie. Okay. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. Whew. And I think it's given us a good discussion here. Now, no matter what you think of it at the end of the day. True. We've had a nice little talk about it. 
that that ultimately is the rewarding thing even when we come out and i'm like man one star f this movie whatever <laughs> i'm like yeah but we had a nice chat about it didn't we <laughs> all right man lay it yeah. on me what is your reaction so uh, i wrote some notes so i could get all this in so okay I, this film's like mystifying to rate to me like i didn't I didn't know like where to put it in thy pantheon of movies and stuff because I was mm-hmm. like I said the one time it feels like it's a full moon feature, yeah. Uh, other times it feels like it's a sci-fi picture's original. Mm-hmm. Um, that title theme it's like it's weak, but yet it's charming in yeah, the in the yeah, same yeah, way yeah. that every Richard Band score from Full Moon is charming. Yeah, it, it feels like the core cast they give a really great performance. They really bring it. They're spot on. Uh, some of the extras are like laughably bad, which mm. hurts a little bit. I mean, like, real off the rails. Like, I, I forget who it is. I think it's one of the... Off the rails? Ha, 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 ha. I didn't plan that one. Um, no, it's one of the extras with the cult. It freaking felt like it was a Tim and Eric skit or something. Like, it was so awkward and, like, these aren't real humans that are interacting right now. Hey, have you met uber-religious people? They're pretty <laughs> awkward. True. Um, but I love that the film swings big. It has this huge yeah. scope, and it still goes for it, even though it doesn't have the budget to depict all of that the director's reach may have exceeded his grasp um i feel like it really wears its inspiration on its sleeve Mm -hmm. some of the films we've mentioned night of the living dead um there is a big 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 italian horror vibe to the whole film i think start to finish yeah um obviously the film demons is an apt thing to reach for Mm -hmm. it's kind of almost like a weird inversion of that in some ways where the demons aren't real yeah yeah, this could have been Demons um, 3 or 4. And just in general, it gives me a big uh, Mikel Suave vibe to I it. I get that, yeah. I think of like the church or the sect. It kind of just has that same sort of air where there's this big ominous event that's looming. Yeah. But you're focused on just the story of these few characters in I the moment. It. Right. Um, I have mad respect for the fact they didn't shy away from killing kids on screen. Yeah. Always, always a props and a thumbs up for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like, too, that there was that moral quandary of like, he just reacts in the moment. Yeah. And then he feels bad about it. And then everybody else is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And then immediately he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just yeah. stand here and die? Right, and, right. Uh, so I, I liked that they actually like wrestled with those ideas a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of mulled them over. Um, they didn't like go immediately to Action Star or they didn't just stay forever right. perpetually. I'm afraid and I don't want to hurt anyone. And they don't make any exceedingly stupid decisions. Yeah. Other than with Patrick, but... Well, they decide not to kill someone <laughs> in cold blood. Right. <laughs> They decide not to kill the known rapist that uh, well, was carving up bodies. Don't be so eager to met out, you know, justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I already mentioned the nine eleven connection, so I think I think I'm good on that. So, I mean, there's good, there's bad, but I was pleasantly surprised with both how entertained I was during it. And that it never, never, nothing ever like totally pulled me out mm-hmm. or put me off. And really, the biggest stumbling block is, like you said, it's just that twist of is it real yeah. or not? It's not necessary. Um, the demons are fucking killer. Yeah, I wish they had been used more. Right. I would love a sequel that was like a demons two to this, where it's like he did another one, but the demons are real. Oh, they're like taking over the world. And we and got shit. more of those, just like on a rampage. That'd be that'd be that'd cool. be fucking like, awesome. Like the end of the movie, demons. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, also, if you're interested in this film, uh, I noticed that TerraVision just at the end of last year put out a nice, like, restored Blu-ray version of it. Oh, really? Yeah, they really tricked it out. Okay, I didn't uh, find that. I don't think it's been like broadcasted very well. Okay. Because I stumbled on it by accident. Huh. Yeah. I didn't find that in my searches. Yeah. Because I deliberately wanted to get this for you on Blu-ray, <laughs> and I didn't see that. 
Well, the uh, the German one held up just fine, so... Okay, cool. cool. I was going to ask you about the transfer and yeah. everything, but it looked good. Um, a little grainy at times, but... Yeah. I think even the Terravision one probably isn't far off from that, so... Uh, but if you are a collector and you're like, hmm, do I need to acquire this? It is out there. It's been re-released. Nice. Uh, so all said, I actually think I fell at three stars on this one. Hey, that's, yeah. that's good. I think, I think there's a lot here to love. There's a lot here to like. It's actually worth watching for your time, I think. Uh, it's definitely like, you know, for me at two stars, that's where I get to be like, I may never watch this again and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when I think about this one, I'm like, yeah, I, I could watch this again. Cool. Why not? Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I was worried. I was prepared for much worse. And I think it's like you said, you can do so much worse having a movie to watch for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. A nice, brisk, like 93 <laughs> yeah. minute runtime. Appreciated that too. So <laughs> awesome. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so I say, yeah, give this, give this a try. Especially if any of those themes or any of those films they're kind of referencing, that's your bag, man. Like, Cool. You'll at least be something here that you're like, hmm, okay. Yeah, get some love out there for it. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe we can get the, the Maurice Devereux revival going on. Let's do it. I'm up for it. Get uh, beyond the end of the line. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. All right, well, that was fun. It was fun. Let's get back into the horror realm. Yes, and we're pretty close in our estimations on yeah. this one, so that's cool. All right. So uh, I think the next choice is yours, correct? It is the next choice is mine. I noticed a funny thing when I was planning this. Um, our next episode is actually going to drop on Valentine's Day. Isn't that interesting? It is. And so I felt inspired. I felt inspired by the fact that it would be Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. A, a, day a day both for, for romance, but also for the gross commercialization of a holiday that exploits people's feelings mm-hmm. for profit. <laughs> God bless America. So I felt like I needed to kind of swing in into the realm of romance. Okay. But also needed to deconstruct and go and go with something a little more raw, you know. Oh no, I'm scared. So, um I've decided for us, you and me, Jason, we are going to be returning to the world momentarily of Roman pornos. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Um, and I thought this was like the perfect one because it's gonna be kind of like a epilogue piece to our block we did last year. Um, we are going to be checking out from 1974 the uh, studio career-saving film "Wife to Be Sacrificed." Ooh! Now you're gonna know a little bit about this if you listen to our block on Roman pornos. We talked about this during Flower and Snake. This was the other film, along with Flower and Snake, that they made in '74 that actually like brought them out of their financial crisis. Made Nakatsu keep going monetarily, made Naomi Tani one of their queens of Roman porno, and also launched their, like, S&M Roman porno line. Okay. More Naomi Tani, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. More Naomi Tani, more all the craziness that was in those films. And yeah, this is a very iconic one. Uh, Critics that kind of look over the entire Roman porno line and all the films in it, this is usually always placed in the top five. Okay. So, Nice. Now, is this easily watchable for people? It is not. So there was an old DVD release back in the day that mm-hmm. is now out of print. Okay. Um, the Impulse Pictures Nakatsu Collection, they haven't released it yet. I don't know if they have the rights for it or which ones they have access to. Mm. This one would be great to have on Blu-ray, especially since they re-released Flower and Snake. Um, 
So you kind of got to go into the gray area to find this one. Ah, uh, I got to sell the gray waters. So, yeah, I got to sell the gray waters, but it needs to be talked about. It should be talked about more. So we're going to do it. All right. Um, so if you happen to browse the old internet, you can find it out there and it's watchable. Pretty sure it's just a rip of that old DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, is what it is. It's what we got to do to get at it, to talk about it. So spread, it, spread the love. It'll at least be like 720 or 1080p, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not. But um, uh, I think it's a pretty short one, too. It's uh, it, it sticks to the Roman porno rule, so I think it's about 70 minutes. Nice. Uh, nice brisk I like, watch. I like that. Should be fun. More craziness, more ropes. You know what's coming. Happy Valentine's Buckle Day. the fuck up. So this is something you should watch with your significant other, is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, why not? It's out there. You can access it. It's probably a good way to test your relationship. You can say, hey, I heard about this on one of my favorite podcasts. I want to share it with you together. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so that'll be a lot of craziness. Hope it'll be fun. Um, but all that said, we've reached the end of the episode. So you can do all your usual stuff. You can hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Tell us what you've been watching. If you've seen End of the Line, what do you think of it? Yeah. Did you like it? Was there anything redeeming about it? Or is it just sci-fi picture garbage <laughs> that should be, be cast down? Let us know. What do you think of that ending? Yeah. Or those sick demons, man. Yeah. So good looking. So underutilized. Damn right. And also, always send us your recommendations of films that we should watch. Maybe you know another hidden gem like End of the Line... It needs a little more love. It needs some eyes on it. Yeah. It, it's sitting there lost in the, the, the early 2000s, and there's no love for it. Lay it on us. We'll give it a watch. We'll watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> but all that being said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. <laughs>